0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with the latest AEW edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know what that normally means. We are here to break down everything that happens normally in the world of AEW and NXT, however... Given some major breaking news that went down on Wednesday, the Silver King decided to separate out that NXT episode, you can find it on our podcast page or your subscription, wherever you subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Really big news coming out of WWE and NXT that Mandy Rose was released from the company just 14 hours after dropping her NXT Women's Championship on television. Very quick turnaround, very strange turn of events in the world of WWE and NXT. We cover it in detail on a special instant reaction episode, so be sure to listen to that, especially if you are listening to this show expecting NXT in its normal space. So yes, that means it is a three-episode week. That gives us a little bit extra time to stretch our wings, talk in-depth about AEW, and we're actually going to do that on today's show by welcoming vintage Chris Vanini who will join us for that AEW portion of the show he got to attend, Winter Is Coming, in person on Wednesday night. So he'll be around to talk Dynamite, a little bit of Rampage. Before we get to that, though, as promised last week, the Silver King did finally get around to watching Ring of Honor Final Battle. And I do have some takes from that pay-per-view, which was the final pay-per-view from AEW, ROH, whatever you want to call it, however you want to categorize it. It was their final pay-per-view of the year happened the same day that WWE put on its final premium live event of the year, which of course was NXT deadline. So as you can tell, plenty to discuss on today's show. We're going to get to it momentarily. Before we do, I need to remind you right off the top, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. is all about divide. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review for your boys over here. At getting over, tell people why you love the show and tell them why they should subscribe. If you do, we will read your five star review right here live on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops. Every time we post a new show, we let you know there first. We also provide news analysis about wrestling all week long and we include some fun stuff as well. So follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, Chris will be joining us momentarily, like I said. To talk AEW. So before we get to him, let's go over what actually happened at Ring of Honor final battle. And the main reason I'm going to break this down is actually the ROH Tag Team Championship, which was FTR against the Briscoes in a dog collar match. If you're going to put on a match that quality, Uh, I'm not going to skip over covering it on the show. You know, we do the same thing largely with New Japan Pro Wrestling. There are big events, Wrestle Kingdom, the G1 most years. This year, we did skip the G1. Uh, You know, if something big is happening in the world of wrestling, even if it's not something we normally cover, we're going to make sure to do it. And Ring of Honor being so much under the AEW banner and so many wrestlers on this show actually being AEW wrestlers, it made this one an event that I couldn't really miss And in watching it, I did certainly have some opinions on some of the matches that uh, transpired. Now, I'm not going to cover everything on the entire show. Most of the breakdowns are going to be relatively short. This one is not. I do want to discuss the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship, FTR defending their titles against the Briscoes in a dog collar match. So let's break this entire thing down. Uh, Briscoe bladed like two minutes into the match with early action outside and in the crowd. The other one bladed about 10 minutes later. Dax Harwood got singled out for a beating until he used the chain to whip Mark Briscoe into a chair that was propped in the corner. He also hit an assisted uh, doomsday device, a chain assisted, I'm sorry, doomsday device for a broken fall. Cash Wheeler choked, I think it was Mark Briscoe, in a gory bomb while Dax whipped him with the chain. Mark came back with an elbow drop wrapped in a chain. Dax then wrapped the chain around his head and hit a flying headbutt. Dax bladed at that point. He wrapped his fist in the chain, but... As he went to punch one of the briscos, they pulled the referee down, and the referee took a chain punch right to the head, and the referee starts bleeding. He did a blade job. Now, you all know I'm not overly into blading, but that was awesome. I've never seen a referee do that before. Cash prevented a doomsday device by pulling a briscoe off the top rope by the chain outside into a pile of steel chairs. It was an insanely great spot. Dax kicked out of Jay Driller and came back with a pile driver into a chair. Dax then tried to pile driver Jay off the ropes into a whole stack of chairs, but he fell and instead low blowed Dax with the chain before hitting a superplex into all of the chairs. Jay then choked Dax violently with the chain as Mark held cash back by his chain as he was trying to get into the ring, keeping him about 18 inches away from Dax. Dax eventually passed out and the Briscoes won the titles. The Briscoes clapped for FTR after the bell. And then after a decent amount of time, the Briscoes quickly made their way to the back. Gun Club ran in, attacked FTR after the bell, taking advantage of their state where they basically were unable to fight back. Dax then said their mission is going to be to beat the gun's asses. And he cut the promo on a mic that was laying on the canvas because he couldn't stand or even lift the microphone on his own, which was a really nice touch. So this match, this was 22 minutes of gore and violence. And it was fantastic. It was well wrestled. The stipulation was used perfectly. And in some cases, inventively, it's really everything one could want from a few blow off with teams of this caliber. And when you look back at this trilogy, there's a legitimate argument that it's the best ever for a set of tag teams in succession, meaning three matches, one year or you know, within a two year period, maybe something like that. I don't really know how you can do better than what these teams did time after time after time. Now, I forget my grades on the prior matches. I would have to go back and listen to those episodes. I'm pretty sure both were A pluses, either 4.75 or five stars. There's a chance one of them I gave a four or five an A, I forget. But this is right there with any of them. All three are match of the year contenders. I'm not sure that any one of them stands out clearly above the others. And that actually kind of hurts the ability for any of them to win match of the year because they're all so similar. You're gonna split votes or you just say, hey, there were three really good matches. How can one of them actually be the match of the year? But it was what I would call a must watch match for sure. So if you have not seen ROH Final Battle, I'm not necessarily telling you to buy the pay-per-view. What I am suggesting is you find a way in particular, to watch the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship, FTR Briscoe's dog collar match. The rest of the show, as we're going to break down in a moment, not bad by any means. In fact, much of it was very good, but I don't necessarily think I would go out of my way to see it. My only criticism about this match is that it wasn't the main event. That's a booking decision. And it was a really bad booking decision because, sure, the ROH Championship was on the line. I know there was a pure match. There's a women's match on the card that preceded it. This was the main event. And for it to have not been in the main event spot, I mean, everything that came after it paled in comparison. And when you have a match like that, you have to put that one on last. And that's definitely what Tony Khan should have done with this. Let's get to the actual main event, which the ROH Championship was on the line. Chris Jericho against Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, Jericho countered a straitjacket bomb in the corner with a hurricanrana. Then he superplexed Claudio off the apron outside. Jericho countered a swing into a Walls of Jericho, but it quickly got broken. He got handed the bat by 2.0 and drilled Claudio in the face with it before playing dead. But he did the fake sell way too long, and his delayed cover on Claudio only led to a false finish because he just wasted time. Jericho came back with a code breaker, decided not to cover. He wanted to go for a Judas effect. Claudio blocked that. He put Jericho in the swing, and on the 33rd rotation of the swing, Jericho visibly submitted. It looked like he moved his hand and he tapped out. Now this was definitely different. You know, submitting to the swing is not necessarily the most substantial way to end a match, particularly when it's a title change, but it was unique for sure. And it was perhaps fitting that this Jericho character went out by taking that type of move as opposed to just getting pinned. Jericho's reign ended at 80 days. It was pretty solid given all of the television defenses that he put together. But it's also interesting that as soon as it became obvious that ROH was not going to get a TV deal, Tony Khan just flipped the title right back to Claudio. And then after this match, holy shit, commentary like fellated Tony after the bell. He was like, oh, can you can you imagine how different this product would have been, this company? If Tony Khan didn't own it, we wouldn't see Claudio as champion. It was incredibly off-putting, but it also had nothing to do with the match or the work that the guys did. I'm in 3.75 stars and a B-plus. Solid title match. The right person won. And the finish again, is it what I would have done? Probably not, but I do appreciate that it was different. So we had the pure championship match, Daniel Garcia defending against Wheeler Yuda. They had two slap fights. Garcia put Yuda in a sharpshooter. Yuda didn't have any rope breaks left, which is part of the rules of a pure match. So he crawled under the bottom rope and put Garcia in a choke until he broke the sharpshooter. Yuda then cart Garcia with a clutch like Tombstone Piledriver and then hit hammer elbows consecutively until Garcia passed out and the referee called the match. So that's three finishes. Let's just make it very clear. Three finishes that were... Submission slash knockout style. And they were the three biggest matches for the men at least on the show. So that was kind of repetitive and unnecessary. And I don't really know why you're protecting Garcia to that degree. Just let him submit, let him take a pinfall. Who really cares? The guy's super young. Uh, this now begins Yuda's second pure title reign. That's a note that I had. I thought it was solid, but honestly, pretty unspectacular. I thought one of their prior matches was much better comparatively. Women 3.5 stars and a B for this. Uh, The women's championship was Mercedes Martinez against Athena. Martinez ate a powerbomb off the ropes and then dodged Athena running into the barricade before hitting a draping, twisting neckbreaker off the barricade. Athena bit Mercedes' wrist. That allowed her to avoid a submission. She came back with an off-shoulder codebreaker, only for Martinez to grab a rope break. Athena then ripped off a turnbuckle pad in clear view of the referee, who did absolutely nothing about it, didn't seem to care. Then she shotgun dropped Tick Martinez backwards headfirst into that exposed turnbuckle, and she hit the O-face for the 1-2-3 to win the ROH Women's Championship. This went 13 minutes. It was super entertaining. I talked previously about Athena's character development, putting her in the perfect spot to be a champion, and her getting the ROH Championship. If they're not going to use her in one of the AEW title feuds, it makes all the sense in the world. She's far more exciting with the title than Mercedes even though Martinez is obviously quite talented. And I went 3.5 stars and a B for this. I was very entertained by it. I saw others didn't think it was that good. I don't know how you feel that way. I mean, I watched their work. Their work in that match was way better than the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of AEW women's matches. This one uh, could have been a main event of a dynamite. Uh, it could have been on any AEW pay-per-view. I just thought it was really solid top to bottom. Uh, the TV Championship Samoa Joe defended against Juice Robinson. Juice hit high fly flow. Joe later trapped his legs on the ropes and hit a muscle buster for the win. This was just highly disappointing, especially coming off Joe having his best match in AEW yet against Darby Allin just one week or even a couple days prior. And then to follow that up with this, I was just very disappointed in this match. And again, I'm not talking about every match on the card. Uh, I don't really have much to break down about the Swerve Our Glory tag team match other than to say it was odd to do a breakup angle for a team that by all accounts had already broken up when one dude walked out on the other in the middle of a match. Keith Lee had two big moments in the match. He caught Shane Taylor clean flying off the ropes, which is just difficult to do for a guy that size. And he also hit a moonsault later, but we've seen Keith do that a million times. He also accidentally hit Swerve with a forearm. That caused Swerve to walk out, but Keith won the match two-on-one handicap style anyway. I saw some people crowing about this match, saying it was fantastic. I think the crowd was great. I didn't think the match itself was great. So I don't have an overall grade for Ring of Honor Final Battle because there were two matches I skipped over entirely. And like I said, I wasn't giving you full evaluations for these, but it was a very, very solid show capped by the FTR Briscoes match, which was definitely a match of the year contender. So I repeat, go out of your way to see that everything else. I mean, if you happen to get the show and you want to watch the finishes of some of the matches I talked about, probably worthwhile, but I would not sit and waste your time watching any other match on the card besides FTR and Briscoes. So let's put ROH Final Battle to bed and allow me to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini, who, as I said, is just coming off being there live at AEW. Dynamite Winter
1: is coming. Chris, how was the show Wednesday night? It was a fun show. I, I bought a ticket late last week. I had been unsure for a while if I was going to go just based on football and work and and didn't know. But late last week, I realized I'd had some time, so I bought a ticket. It was like 30 bucks to sit in the corner. Like, it's a pretty cheap ticket. It wasn't sold out. Um, And then I had actually forgotten on Wednesday because a bunch of news happened. And then, like, four o'clock rolls around. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to go to AEW tonight. So I was able to get out there. And I had a good time. You know, they've come to that spot in garland texas like six times now basically twice a year they did winter is coming there last year and you've been the most if not all is that correct i've been to i think all but one and they've done winter is coming twice in a row there because right the nfl owner meetings are in town uh Mm. in dallas so Shad Khan was at the show last year fired urban meyer after the show and uh, I don't know if Shadow was there tonight, but, but it was a good time. Yeah, and AW shows are a lot of fun. The, the crowds are really into it every time I've gone. It wasn't a sellout. It was maybe 70, 75 percent full, but was treated to a very fun show of wrestling. So I, I know you haven't gone to a show we've talked about a few times. Yeah, but, uh, I do recommend if anybody wants to go, it's generally not depends on where you are, but it's not that it's not a really expensive ticket and it's a good time.
0: Yeah, they don't come to the closest arena and best arena near me, which is in pretty much Sunrise, Florida. That's the like the nicest and quickest one to get to. They go to a very small arena in uh, South Miami, which is a massive pain in the ass. And the only times they've been here were basically immediately before and immediately after the pandemic when I wasn't planning to go in public to a big show like that. So I just haven't really had an opportunity to go to an AEW show. They did do one of those pay-per-views in Orlando. That's like a two and a half hour drive for me. That means I have to get a hotel. You know, I'm not going to go and do that. So I'm just, I'm in a weird part of the state of Florida, number one. And then number two, there hasn't been much motivation to go to any of the shows that they have announced. Now, if they did a Winter is Coming here or something like that, then I would say, okay, that's going to be a big show. I'll definitely go to that. I'll make an effort. But these were like regular dynamites again, coming right off of the pandemic when things weren't really that hot. It just never really made sense. I I do just find it funny that. The show is Winter is Coming, right? And it's in winter and they don't go somewhere where there is snow (laughs) like where or somewhere that's actually cold. Now I know it snows in Texas technically. It can. I'm just saying like Minnesota, right? Or Chicago or New Jersey or or Massachusetts or anywhere like that. You could do a match in the snow. You could do something outside of the arena. Like there's so many things they could do. Instead, they go to Garland, Texas for Winter is Coming. I find that funny.
1: Yeah, twice. Because the first one was in... A Daly's place, I believe, 2020 and then 2021 and thin. 2022. Right. Yeah, 21, 22 are both in Texas again around the NFL owner meeting. So, yeah, it, it is. It's 52 degrees here right now as so I look at my phone, but it is going to get cold here pretty soon. Winter is I mean, it's definitely colder than it is here. Coming. I mean, here it's 80. So, I mean, know. it is. It is winter is coming and not winter is here. So it does kind of.
0: True. True. But, you know, <laughs> again, if you want to play off the theme. Right. It would be cool to do it in a place where it's, yeah, you can show it where you can show outside shots and it's you know snowing or whatever the case, not just Garland, Texas, which no offense to anyone in or around Garland, Texas. I don't think of winter when I think of Garland, Texas. That's all. All right. Anyway, let's break down. Uh, AEW Dynamite Winter is coming. We'll throw in some Rampage stuff here as well. Of course, as always, let's Chris go right to the main event, the AEW Championship and Dynamite Diamond Ring. We're both on the line as MJF, Fought Ricky Starks. So MJF sarcastically praised Starks for having a great moment last week and it being the only great moment of his career. MJF said tonight is about whether the pressure applied to the Pebble will turn him into a diamond, as many expect, or dust, as MJF expects. I thought it was strong from MJF as usual. The Pebble nickname, it is such an eye roll for me. It feels so forced for a reference to The Rock. And like, how many times is he going to keep saying the same thing about Ricky Starks? On top of that, The Rock actually has an offspring in WWE who (laughs) fans already nicknamed The Pebble. So like Mm. he's taking something that fans actually used for The Rock's real daughter. And it was kind of fun and just kind of a a unique thing that they did. And now saying it about Ricky Starks, it makes him look small, makes him look like it's a clone of The Rock or like he's trying to be that. And I know the point is to insult him. I just wish he'd come up with something a little bit more clever than that. It's MJF. He's capable of better insults than calling the guy The Pebble. Uh, Starks also had a strong backstage promo. It felt a little bit try hard what Starks did. Uh, He was later shown working out and stretching while MJF was shown getting a massage, which threw me right back to, uh, I think it's the great white hype, that movie with Jeff Goldblum. And I think uh, one of the Waynes brothers was in it as well. And I just remembered the champion getting massaged, the challenger (laughs) working out, getting ready for the match. So it was a cool throwback little moment for me. I don't know if they had that in mind, but I've seen that movie probably a dozen times, and uh, that popped into my head. Uh, Chris, anything
1: on these promos before we get to the match itself? I, I like the nature of MJF's promo because we don't typically get him doing backstage interviews. Like his only promos are typically in front of the crowd or something like that. So it felt a little bit different. It was more of the old school wrestling situation. And I thought he nailed it. I, I thought he had the right just kind of vibes you want from a promo backstage. I do agree that the Pebble nickname is kind of annoying. I do think, I understand he's a heel, but I think he takes so many personal kayfabe breaking shots at wrestlers that hurts them. Mm-hmm. Like, Ricky Stark, like, we don't need to be thinking Ricky Stark's in The Rock. Like, like you, you can tear someone down without, like breaking the fourth wall to be like, actually, you sucker. Hey, this is the first time you had a big moment in AEW or whatever like that. Like, I, I get that's, And I it's okay, that okay that
0: to mention it a. one time, but to keep going yeah, back it, to
1: it. Yeah. It works for the AEW crowd to kind of do those insidery type insults. But um, I do think the ultimate point of this feud was to elevate Ricky Starks. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about that at the end. And I do we think will. some of the things he does in his promos hurt that.
0: Okay, so let's go ahead and get right to the match. Starks tried Rochambeau, but ended up hitting a Liger Bomb. MJF tried to grab Trunks during a roll-up and powerbomb Starks onto his knee. Then he thumbed Starks' eye. Starks hit a spear and extremely late cover due to injury. MJF grabbed his arm on the kickout into Salt of the Earth. When Starks reached for the ropes, MJF grabbed his other arm to pull him back, butterfly style. Then he reached with a leg, and MJF pulled that leg back, only for Starks to finally break the ropes with his last limb. Uh, They did some chain wrestling. MJF escaped Rochambeau and hugged the referee as a distraction so he could low blow Starks and get the win. Brian Danielson appeared after the bell. He chased MJF around the ring and into the crowd where he ran up the stairs and into the concourse with Danielson pointing at him from afar. Danielson then kind of put over Starks by raising his arm and shaking his hand. So the finish was shitty. Let's just be clear about that. But I feel like the finish being shitty to this degree might have been purposeful because MJF for weeks now has been talking about the reign of terror, again, another WWE reference. And he's been talking about actively pissing off fans who have cheered for him because he wants his title reign to be boring and just beating people in any way he needs to. If it wasn't purposeful, then it was just a shitty finish. His first defense is a low blow in a small package. He can't even hit his finisher coming out of the low blow. It seemed unnecessarily dull, at least to me. But the match was fun. It fell below my expectations for what we could get out of these two. The best spot by far was the rope break that I just described. That probably added like a quarter star if I was grading the match on its own. I would not be surprised, Chris, if Starks ultimately ends up being the one to beat MJF for the title. He's the first challenger and the last challenger. But it's really impossible to say that at this point. Because there's really no clear person who is going to be that guy. Like, it was always obvious that Hangman Page would eventually win the title. Right now, there's not an obvious next championship winner. It could be Jungle Boy, Wardlow, Hangman again, Mox eventually again, a couple others. The Danielson appearance I thought was great to end the show with MJF hightailing it out of there, Starks getting some rub. Uh, All in all, successful main event. Starks did stay strong with the finish. MJF, though, did not get enough out of it himself. For it being his first defense. Solid wrestling. Again not as good as I expected. A nice progression into MJF and Brian, Which I assume is going to be the main event. Of that big Los Angeles show in January.
1: Yeah it was. It was a solid match. It felt like these guys. Could give us another gear or two. And maybe they will. You know like, like we, we, he cheated to win. So like maybe we do get that at, at some point. But um, yeah the rope break. And also the MJF grabbing the rope during the abdominal strain. That was honestly probably the most over part of the whole match in terms of the live crowd. Uh, Mm -hmm. He just executed that masterfully getting the crowd to boom, flipping them off, getting caught the ref, kicking his arm. Like that was just that whole spot was just very, very good. Um, So the match was solid. I I agree about the finish. I, I don't like it in terms of low blow to small package, like do low blow and then do finisher. I, right. I, I think I, I think doing losing small package, even with the low blow doesn't hurt Ricky Starks, but it doesn't help him. I, I the think whole point of the low I blow think... is to
0: make him is to make him prone. So then if he's prone, right. then MJF hits his finisher. Starks looks good that it took that much to beat him.
1: MJF yes. looks good because he hit his finisher and beat him. This didn't accomplish anything. Exactly. That That's really my only main complaint. And I know the finish is a pretty big one. Um, ultimately, you know, did did this help Ricky Starks? I think more than anything else, the promo he cut, lat was it last week, um, that did more for Ricky Starks than I think almost anything he's done in AEW, and 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 that includes this match. Like, I, I know AEW is about the wrestling, but this is still all actually sports entertainment. You got to be able to work the mic, and Ricky Stark showed us last week that he can. That that was the moment that I think gives everybody belief that uh, of what he can do here. The match kind of, uh, you know, they, they emphasized that Texas was Ricky Starks adopted home state. Crowd was pretty into him, but not like super into him. They were way more into action and ready, which we'll get to later. Um, so it was I think it was a moderate success in terms of everything here. I just think you could have protected Ricky a bit more with the finish.
0: Yeah, I think you wrapped it up nicely. Let's get into the other major match on Winter is Coming, which was Death Triangle versus Elite, the fourth of a possible seven matches. In this series, Death Triangle entered with a 2-1 lead on the Elite. Uh, Nick Jackson was taken backstage, selling an injury to make it a handicap match. Kenny Omega went on a run, hitting all of his signatures. Pac caught him with a flinging cutter over the ropes. Matt ate a fear factor on the apron. Omega took a side-by-side Spanish fly, made in Japan, and a backwards frog splash from the Lucha Bros just for a near fall. Omega dodged Black Arrow as Nick limped out to the ring, selling a right ankle injury. He caught Phoenix flying with a cutter. Penta drilled him in the ankle with a bell hammer. Phoenix hesitated, but then put him in a knee bar and got the submission win with Death Triangle going up three to one. Omega grabbed the mic after the bell, spoke directly to Death Triangle, saying since they use the hammer and they've done so in all of their wins, they should make it legal with match five being no DQ. Pac and Penta dapped up. They were excited about that. Phoenix sat on the ground, really bothered by the situation. Omega claimed his promo was improv and not actually part of the show which was obviously bullshit. I don't know why he went so far as to say, this isn't part of the show. I'm just talking to these, like, just talk, man. Like, it was so weird. Uh, But it took them long enough, I thought, to actually address the situation with the hammer. At least they finally did now that we're four matches, more than halfway into the series. But this was solid overall between these six. I enjoy how each one is a little bit different. They would have to be given its best of seven. But as I suspected from the beginning, to this point at least, each Subsequent match has failed to be as good as the one that preceded it. It's diminishing value. uh, Sorry, diminishing returns as we keep going forward. The knee bar to take advantage of an injured ankle was notably poor just to an ankle lock. I don't know why they did that. The selling was inconsistent throughout, and it just wasn't as exciting as the others. I went 3.25 stars as a B, and a match between these six guys should not be anywhere near a a B range, yet this one was. My expectation is the no DQ stipulation will breathe a little bit of new life into the series next week and match seven when we eventually get there will obviously be tremendous. So really the curiosity lies in what does match six look like and how is that going to kind of go on between these six? Uh, One extra note, Tony Khan purchased the NBA on NBC theme. This guy loves buying uh, music rights, I guess, and he used it to lead into this match and presumably Mm. I assume he will use them to lead into the rest of the matches. In the series. Now, I know he bought it, or I knew he bought it going into the show, but I was super confused why it was being used until one of our getting overheads, James, clarified it for me. I thought it was really smart to use it for the series, but now there's only a couple matches left, right? So, how much use are you actually going to get out of it? What bothers me more is Tony owning it and that it may no longer be used for basketball, which I know Fox was actively using it for basketball recently. And that's really where it belongs with basketball. So hopefully he licenses it out. But anyway, going back to the matches, um, solid, not as good as anything that preceded it from these six.
1: So let me start with the music thing. Yeah, they were playing that in the arena for quite a while before the first match. And I was like, why are we playing this? I, I had missed the Tony Khan bought his music type of thing. I was just confused why this was playing. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Fox owns this (laughs) college basketball, even though it's the old NBA and NBC theme. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't. I guess John Tesh, by the way. Yes, yes, uh, John Tesh uh, famously has a brother and a very good SNL skit. Um, Yeah, so I, I, it was weird, but they they used it later in the show too. I don't know if it was on TV, but they used it in in the arena multiple times, like during commercial breaks. So. I don't know. They're they're using it. I guess I'll have to check my next college basketball game on Fox to see if they still have it. Um, I don't know if like it's licensed out, so maybe they just both are able to use it. I don't know. But it, in in the arena, I was kind of confused. As for the match, the Nick Jackson ankle injury work got me, and he he oh, he sold it incredibly well it, in the arena. I don't know if you could see it on TV, but uh, Kenny or Nick, they go to tag. Kenny or Matt, they go to tag Nick and he just points to the other guy like don't tag. He's like shaking his ankle. He's like just kind of moving his leg around and he points to the other person, says tag them in. And so I was like, oh, that's you don't normally see that. That's interesting. Maybe he's actually like kind of dealing with something. And then he kind of sits down. And then once they like carried him to the back, then I was like, okay, maybe this actually is a work. But up up to that point, he did so many little things where everybody in the arena thought it was real. Um, and, in cause I remember I was at, um, blood and guts in Detroit when, um, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, pride and powerful. One of the guys uh, got hurt in that match and had to spend the whole match just laid over by the side of the cage. So, uh, I've seen real injuries happen in AW. So I thought, so they got me with that. So credit to them for that. And then the finish, you know, it made sense. So you used the hammer on knee ankle. Sure. Whatever. I, I would, that didn't bother me too much. Um, it, it made sense. And, and th- they are. The match was fine, but they are telling a story now a little bit. Okay, we've done the hammer a few times. We're going to no DQ. Nick's got a bum ankle or knee like so they are adding some more layers to it. You're right that it's it's there's not as much drama because it's a series and not a single thing. But I thought this and like now, now that it's 3-1,
0: I mean, the finish is clear. It's 3-1. They're going to win 4-3. They're going to lose a 3-1 series lead. You know, it's just like very as sports fans, at least, or a sports fan, I can at least speak for mm-hmm. myself. To me, it's the booking's been very obvious the entire time.
1: Yes, and in you know the elite had the belts, they had to relinquish them because of the CM Punk situation, and it was seemed obvious that they would bring them, win them back, and it's just going to take us essentially eight matches to get there. And right. So we wait for that.
0: Right. None of which, in between, are title matches, except for whatever the deciding match will be. Which, by the way. Like, that's the confusing part of it, right? So it's now 3-1, which means the title is kind of on the line in this upcoming, this next match, because if Death Triangle wins, they retain. Yeah. But it's not on the line. It's only on the line for one team, basically. <laughs> like, it's very tough to kind of explain that, right? Like, when you think about that, it's a title up for grabs, but it's a seven-game series, they can win the, the, the championships or they can retain the championships, I'm sorry. You know, normally when you go into, like, an NBA final, no one holds the title, so it's up for grabs, and whoever gets to four first actually wins. Well, they already have it, so their retention is on the line. But the elite can't win it; they have to win three more times yeah. to win the championship. It's just I, very I do an think that, odd I, way to do it. It's very odd. I way.
1: do think it's more. I do think it's more drama than two two because anytime the the death triangle go for a pin, you know this could be the one that totally ends. Oh, absolutely, it. So I, I yes. do. I do think it adds more drama.
0: Oh, I don't think that it's wrong to do it this way. I'm just saying it was obviously always going to yeah. do it this way from the beginning. Uh, Nick Flynn at nflinn underscore 17, he wrote in. so I'm going to toot my own horn on calling the seventh match between Elite and Death Triangle becoming a ladder match. But curious, what do you think the end game with Death Triangle will be when this series is done? Assuming they do lose, do we see a split breakup because of Phoenix's feelings towards having to cheat to win? Or do we see him fully embracing it and becoming more of a tweener, similar to Penta? So, you know, I think this next match, Match um, 5, you know, it's no DQ. So anything goes, it probably won't even factor into much of anything. Match 6, I would not be surprised if Phoenix like hesitates to use it. And then the Elite win and the other guys are pissed off at him. And then Match 7 is relatively clean, no matter how it kind of transpires. I would be surprised if they did, you know, Phoenix not being willing to use the hammer as the reason the elite win, the difference in the entire feud, which would really completely take Death Triangle's reign down to the fact that they were only able to win by using the bell hammer. So I would be a little bit surprised if it factored into match seven as much as it did match six. That said, Nick, yes, you did call that it would be a ladder match in match seven Uh, weeks ago or however long ago when you originally sent me that DM. So if they do that, I mean, you're tooting your own horn, but they haven't done it yet. So if they do, then props to you. But I do think that a ladder match makes a lot of sense because if it's 3-3 and the titles are on the line, well, putting three belts up in the rafters, it's a pretty damn cool look getting six uh, ladders or three ladders in the ring with three people on either side of them. That could be a really cool look for a uh, seven game series or seven match series ending moment. Uh, so I do think you're going to be right, but I don't know that you are just yet.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Ladder match makes sense for seven. What what do we think match six will be? If we're doing no DQ no at idea. five, ladder at seven. What falls count do anywhere? That could work. That could you work. Need, I mean, with six men, work. you would need eight referees. Re- like yeah. like, like three, three <laughs> how, referees? how do you do that? Yeah, that could work. Um, but no, I I that that's why like at the end of it I was like Intrigued, I was like, all right, we're not just gonna be doing the same stuff. We're gonna have some new stuff the next couple of matches, and so I I think that is exciting as well. I do agree with the point that the fact that Death Triangle, I believe, so they have now four wins against the elite in their last five matchups. Mm-hmm. Were all five with the hammer were all four with the hammer?
0: I know for a fact the first one was the I wanted the paper. I believe the hammer factored into every finish.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of disappointing in that you'd like, to, you'd like them to at least get one or two clean wins in this but whole now thing Now they're not going to drop the titles. Now they're not going to. They can't, yeah. So that's the situation uh, that we find
0: ourselves in. All right, let's keep going here. On Rampage, I'll take this one myself since you, I don't think, got to see the entire thing. Uh, John Moxley fought Kanosuke Takeshka. Uh, Mox bladed for a Rampage match without a storyline. Let's just put that out there. Uh, Don Callis was shown scouting the match, presumably for Takeshka, that's been going on for a couple of weeks. Mox hit a pile driver. Takeshka came back with a flying clothesline and a DDT on the ring apron, plus a slingshot DDT. Mox came back with a lariat. Takeshka hit a V trigger and brainbuster for a false finish. There were a bunch of counters, ending with a blue thunderbomb and a deadlift German suplex for near falls. Mox got double knees up on a frog splash, hit the hammer elbows and death rider, but Takeshka kicked out at one to a really big pop. Takeshka then did the Brian Danielson stomps, but Mox caught him with a well placed stomp on the canvas. He pounded the back of his head and warmed down with the bulldog choke to get the win in 15 minutes. This was an exceptionally wrestled match. The crowd was super behind Takeshka in the finish, as he deserved, by the way, for really high-quality wrestling. And he continues to just be fantastic every time he gets a chance to wrestle someone notable. The problem is, he has lost every single one of those matches. I'd like the guy to win something at some point. Not Mox, obviously, but maybe against someone else. His future, Takeshka, is extremely bright. I went 4.25 stars and an A for the match. The crowd was tremendous. And I wouldn't be surprised if the crowd leads others to overrate what happened in the ring. I actually thought it was very similar about Dynamite on Wednesday, where the crowd made the show and the matches feel better than they actually were. But that's a credit to the crowd. That's not a negative. It's just, I think you. sometimes AEW stuff may get slightly overrated because the crowd sells it so well. But it's great that the crowd responds that way. Still, the work here was great. After the bell, Hangman Page stormed down and said he has not been cleared, so he may continue making stupid decisions. He popped Mox with a strike, but quickly got taken down and beaten outside before the referees and the BCC members pulled Mox off Hangman to end it. I just appreciated how after wrestling a bloody match for 15 minutes, Mox still came out on top because he's active and Page has not been cleared. But the idea that Hangman is allowed to keep appearing on the show and he's put in position to get physical, despite not being cleared from a head injury is absolutely ridiculous. Like it's one thing when a wrestler does that and they have a bad ankle or bruised ribs, but they keep fighting when they're not supposed to. But this flies in the face of reason of how one would expect the company to kind of protect them from a head injury. So I just, I found that to be pretty frustrating myself. Uh, So Chris, that was
1: all on Rampage. Let's move over to Dynamite. Real real quick. Real quick sure. on, on that, um, on uh, Hangman and, and Mox. Uh, I won't say it, but spoiler alert, something happens on Rampage next week. Well, yeah, well, week. we still
0: have more to talk about with Hangman and Mox. <laughs> so that's why I was yeah. kind of just going to move on and we can come back to it and you can give a spoiler on that. Um, so on Dynamite, we had Chris Jericho, who was infuriated at the finish of his final battle match, where, as we mentioned earlier, he lost the ROH title to Claudio by tapping out during the giant swing. Jericho said he would beat up a jobber on his way to getting a rematch with Claudio. So it felt to me like he was saying, even though JAS and BCC is over, it's actually not over. And then Daniel Garcia was asked about losing the pure title, but Jericho took the mic and said he never should have lost to Wheeler Yuta. And now he needs to shadow Sammy Guevara, his elder. Sammy put his arm around Garcia saying, JAS and BCC is over, but I want to fight Mox on Rampage, which means... It's not over if they're still fighting each other. Like in what world is a feud over if two people from one faction still want to fight two people from another faction? I just felt like I was in an insane asylum watching that segment. So then we get to the Jericho match that he noted. It was Jericho against Action Andretti, someone whose name I had never heard before. Jericho flicked off the crowd. He slapped the guy. He was surprised that he couldn't put him away pretty quickly and poked him in the eye. Andretti did a backbreaker into like a neck breaker, but Jericho got knees up on a split leg moonsault. However, Andretti ducked Judas Effect and hit a seated springboard moonsault outside and then surprisingly won the match with a standing shooting star press, obviously shocking Jericho. Now, this was very much AEW trying to do its own version of 1-2-3 Kid over Razor Ramon on that edition of Raw. And it definitely worked. They capitalized on it by signing the guy, making that announcement on Twitter. I'm also sure it's part of probably a larger, old, washed Jericho storyline. This guy actually, he's only been wrestling for three years, clearly has a lot of charisma and talent. These are the types of guys that AEW should actually be signing as developmental prospects. This was the best thing on Dynamite through the first 75 minutes of the show, at least as far as I was concerned. And it also calmed me down from Jericho's promo earlier, because clearly he's not going to be going right back after Claudio if he starts a losing streak, the first of which comes to a nobody named Action Andretti. So that's my assumption where all this is going an old wash Jericho storyline. And that would be something different for him. And he actually had a funny backstage segment that followed where he threw a fit, kind of tearing apart stuff in the locker room. So I loved this from start to finish. Again, very much one, two, three kid, Razor Ramon. But that was good for WWE,
1: and this was good for AEW. That was a good one, yeah. This felt like a moment. I I mean, this was my favorite part of the show. And the crowd, I don't know how it came across on TV, but this was by far over. The, it hottest was over. the crowd was all yeah. night. From from almost the very beginning that they were by we were chanting jobber, jobber, jobber. Uh, and all this stuff. And it kept going on. It kept going longer and longer. And you keep thinking it's about to end. And then it doesn't end. And it keeps going. And then all of a sudden the guy wins. And you're like, holy crap. Like, I I, did, I, I bought this ticket to Dynamite for MJF Ricky Starks. And they were fine. But I came out of this most remembering Action mm-hmm. ready beating Chris Jericho. Like, it, it was truly an awesome surprise. Crowd went nuts for it. He He jumped into the crowd after the win. And obviously, you know, he got signed and it was part of the whole plan and everything. Uh, but, you know, we when we talk about jobber matches and the right ways to do them, this is not something you obviously do all the time. But this is the these are the potential things you can do in certain spots. Have a have a jobber uh, get some more offense in than somebody expected. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, Jericho can't put this guy away. He's going to get some offense in and then Jericho wins like like. But they obviously went all out. These are different things you can do with with jobber matches. And it was fun, man. It was really, really fun. And the storyline of old, washed Jericho could have a lot of potential. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So also on Dynamite, Mox said there is no confusion on what's happening with BCC, as they've all made a statement over the weekend, and as Mox promised that they would. Claudio said everyone is on notice for 2023. Yuta said they were ready for what anyone wanted to bring. Mox called Sammy gutsy, but promised to stomp his face in and leave him for dead because that's what they do. Then he told Hangman to come find him with his Dark Order buddies if he wanted. Good group promo segment, but again, it's kind of ridiculous to supposedly end a feud and then just keep it going. That's what we used to criticize about WWE doing. So on Dynamite later, a Hangman was being checked out by a trainer, angry that he's still not cleared. He told a sob story about going into the ambulance after his concussion and not being able to remember his son's name for an hour. He said that that was hell. That's an example of hell. And if he's going to go back to hell, he's going to take Mox with him. Hangman, I think he's definitely upped his promo game over the last year. This one wasn't notably great as far as I was concerned, but it accomplished the goal of like, hey, I want to see what happens on Rampage. Rampage struggles for viewers. I'm still not going to watch it live on Friday night, but I am now at least curious to see what happens on that show. You, of course, were there without giving an entire spoiler. Uh, what happened on Rampage? Uh, let's go. You know uh, what we
1: would do in our WWE segment: good, bad, or ugly. Well, first, we didn't get that Page promo in the arena. You tell oh, that's me unfortunate. this is the first time? Is the first time I saw it. We we did get Mox calling out Page, but we didn't get Page responding, um, or, or just cutting whatever promo. Uh, I, I won't say what happened. I'll say that Mox versus uh, Sammy opens up Rampage. So mm-hmm. if you're done with SmackDown uh it's the first thing that happens on, on rampage get it out of the way very yeah, fun I very so. uh, very very fun match good match and uh hangman page makes another appearance right so was that good bad or ugly without obviously giving the spoiler on what happened good i okay. i think it was good it was worth watching i i considered not staying you know after the title match i was mm-hmm. like, ah, like i like i got i got to get up early the next day rampage is usually boring uh, maybe, maybe I'll just go home. And I was like, yeah, let me just see what they open up with the rampage. Did you they leave after that or, that or did you stay for the remainder? I'm trying to remember. I, I left Sky Blue and, and Brit have a match. I left when when they came out.
0: Can't really blame so me for it
1: was, that. It was about 10. <laughs> um, it was about, uh, so it was about half hour, about halfway through the show. The, the big one right. I wanted to see was Mock Sammy and we got it
0: and it was good. And you got it right away. So uh, we'll go back to Dynamite, of course. Uh, the Acclaimed got attacked during Max Caster's rap by Jeff Jarrett's crew. Uh, I'm surprised this is the first time that someone's done that. you think that would happen more often. A Double J put a guitar over Caster's head. Fans chanted, fuck you. Double J called Caster slapnut and dropped the title on him. And that was it. All the top-notch tag teams in AEW, the heat that they're getting, uh, the positive heat, the pops, I should say, that they're getting with the acclaimed. And this is the feud that's happening. It's a total eye roll for me. I don't care whether these guys are getting heat or not, Jar- Jarrett's crew. It's just absurd that there's such a focus of this show. The attack was decently executed, all things considered, but I just don't care about it.
1: It was cool to see a Jericho guitar spot in person for the first time, but Jarrett. largely, I'm sorry, Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett uh, guitar spot, but largely I, I didn't care, but I'm also like, all right, not every title feud needs to be a big feud. This can be they attack them. One week, two weeks, you know within four weeks we're done like this is how this doesn't have to go all the way to revolution the 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 acclaimed can get some mid card wins with the titles and, and whatnot and build them up gets some, some more victories as champs so I think it was fine ultimately this is it's nothing it's not some, something we're supposed to be super into um, but it is kind of low card also another tag team thing I, I won't, nothing notably happens but the the uh, FTR. They do have a promo uh, on Rampage to kind of talk about where they're at and what's next.
0: Okay. Uh, On Rampage, we had the Regina D. Wave Championship. Akaro Shida defending against the Bunny. You may be asking, Silver King, the what championship? Yeah, it was another random title match on AEW TV with a belt no one has ever seen before. Now remember, Jamie Hayter last week on Dynamite said the winner of that match would become her number one contender, and it obviously was not going to be the Bunny. Shida a Meteora off the apron and a Mishinoku driver plus a falling roundhouse kick to get the win. Hater came out and stood on the stage and that was it. Literally, we didn't see her. We we didn't hear from her on Rampage. We didn't see her on Dynamite. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. Decent enough match. Nothing to write home about. On Dynamite, Britt Baker backstage said Shida would never beat Hater. Sky Blue interrupted. Pissing Baker off. She said Britt can't wrestle as well as she can talk and therefore she wanted to fight her Friday. Another kind of random women's match, but Sky Blue was kind of spitting facts there, so tough to kind of hate on her for that. (laughs) Um, You said you left before the match, so we won't even go ahead and talk about that. Let's go to the match that did happen on Dynamite. Ruby Soho against Ty Mello. They brawled before the bell with Ruby taking a shot into the steel steps. Ty booted her in the face in a nice-looking spot. Ruby hit her square in the nose and then hit Destination Unknown for the expected win. Anna Jay stormed out after the bell, attacking Ruby from behind, and hitting her with a gory bomb so Ruby could sell perhaps a recurrence of a nose injury. Nothing wrong with this. It was the standard AEW women's match. What I I liked about it is at least there was a little bit of a
1: story. Yeah, there was some story. Decent wrestling in a very difficult spot on the card right before a title match, and I think everybody kind of knew that. You know, you you get the win, but heel gets their heat back. It kind of is whatever. Actually, that also reminds me of one one other thing I just wanted to say about... um, Ricky Starks versus MJF. MJF wins. Brian Danielson saves him. And then Danielson lifts his arm for the crowd and they play his music. I didn't love that. He didn't win. I don't like when that happens. Um, But just changing the feeling you're supposed to have coming out of a match with the expected victor in the situation. Mm -hmm. It was fine. It was whatever. On Dynamite,
0: FTR said Gun Club has their attention and it's now their goal to kick their asses and ensure the legacy they are building goes through them. It was a nice promo from FTR. FTR. Swerve and Keith Lee, or sorry, Swerve said Keith Lee threw his friendship and their partnership in his face. He's going to pay for it. He said now he doesn't have any friends or partners, just affiliates, and they would work out their stuff in a face to face meeting next week. Swerve on the mic rarely misses. I already told you guys my thoughts on what happened in that tag team match at ROH final battle. Uh, This was strong. Do you have anything on either of these
1: promos? No, just I'm glad they're finally, finally, fully, fully broken up now. uh,
0: I guess. I mean, (laughs) they were broken up after. They were they were broken up after Swerve hit Keith Lee and he left. I mean, I don't know how they got back together or why they thought they could get back together. Just that's what I'm didn't saying, really make yeah. any sense in Kayfabe. Uh, on Dynamite. Right, so we had they, ha- I sorry. think we're done. Yeah. I thought I didn't know that you had more to say. All good. On Dynamite, we had House of Black against the Factory. The house had a cool entrance, I thought. New, different music. Just really nice with black and red lights. Uh, Nick Camarado threw a toothpick in Julia Hart's face like he was Razor Ramon. You are not Razor Ramon. Please never do that again. Uh, So she misted him in the face. Once they all got in the ring, they brawled outside for a while. Once they finally got in the ring, Black Mass just ended a squash match. It was a good look for House just in terms of like their presence being felt. And it made for a nice quick segment on a loaded show. They didn't need to make this very long or have a long drawn out match. This was appropriate for what it was.
1: Yeah, good for what it was. I will say every time I go to an AEW show, I am reminded... That QT Marshall is so good at getting heat. I mm-hmm. don't think they showed it on TV, but they did their entrance and QT's talking to the crowd, getting big boos and everything. And he just he's so good at just getting a crowd to hate him. And he and he says, Three years ago, you guys treated me like a wrestling god, and now you're booing me. And he's right because three years ago, I was at this show in Garland. He made his debut uh with Cody Rhodes in a tag team match. And we went nuts for him. We chanted Cody's friend, Cody's friend. We didn't know who this guy was. You know, he becomes QT Marshall. You know, the factory's the factory, they're low card, they're nothing. But QT is a very talented guy and you can see why he's in the position he's in with the company and the factory and everything, just like as a teacher and all that. Uh he's he's very good. I know we I know we hate on him a lot and that's partially the point. But he's 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 secretly a very talented dude, and I just wanted to note that because he did that again, uh, making their entrance in this match.
0: All right, so we had an All Atlantic Championship match again on Rampage. Orange Cassidy against an opponent to be announced. There was actually a really funny moment during the Mark Henry, you know, backstage back and forth where Dan Danhausen did the signature line for Mark, only to get stopped. Uh, Mark was angry that he delivered it. It was maybe the best thing, honestly, that AEW has done with Danhausen so far. Uh, Kip Sabian got to pick the challenger, if you remember, and it was Trent Seven, formerly of NXT UK. Why? No idea. Orange countered into Stun Dog Millionaire. Seven countered back into a turnover side slam and hit a twisting pile driver that looked super dangerous. Cassidy then hit Orange Punch and Beach Break to retain the title in a decent match. Sabian attacked after the bell, proving he was healthy all along after Penelope Ford hugged the referee in the corner with him struggling to get away. First of all, if you're the referee, Why are you struggling to get away from Penelope Ford hugging you in the corner? Don't get that. Secondly, (laughs) how could he not overpower her? It just didn't make any sense. Uh, As Sabian and Seven continued attacking, Dustin Rhodes ran down to make the save, really making the big moves on Rampage, pulling out Dustin. Where were best friends, by the way, who were backstage with Orange and could have easily come out to rescue their partner? It was just strange. The overall work was good. They're going to do, I think, a six-man or maybe an eight-man match this week with all these people. On Rampage, who really cares? Uh, also on Rampage, we had Big Bill against Lee Moriarty. Sorry. Also on Rampage, we had Big Bill again. Oh, fuck, I did it again. Also on Rampage, we had Big Bill and Lee Moriarty against Clayton Bloodstone and Izzy James. You may be asking, who? Big who? Bill? That's who? the former Big Cass. The former W. Morrissey. Now with a name straight out of 1987. The firm won the match. It was called a massive tag team win on commentary. They beat a couple jobbers in a squash match. I don't know how that's a massive win. Uh, On Dynamite, Jungle Boy fought Brian Cage. Cage no-sold a lot of offense, understandably. uh, Before eating a satellite DDT, Jungle Boy got turned inside out with a lariat, but countered later into a Canadian Destroyer for a 2.5. He locked in the snare trap, tapping out Cage, but the Prince dude distracted the referee. Jungle Boy ducked the discus lariat with Cage nailing the Prince, as Jack bent backwards over his legs for a pinning combination. The match was okay. I thought it was a, kind of a bunch of nothing. Jungle Boy grabbed a mic, saying that he beat Luchasaurus and now Cage, so he wants the biggest bitch of them all, Big Bill. Stokely Hathaway came out, saying, Jungle Boy better watch out or he'd get Bill's boot to his face, and Stokely's slap, I guess, to the back of his head because he's a hoe. Moriarty attacked, and Bill chokeslammed Jungle Boy. Hook then came out, and the firm ran from him. Big Bill, seven foot tall or whatever, ran from a neophyte less than half his size. Hook offered Jungle Boy a hand. Excalibur called it an incredible moment. He shook his hand. I don't know what was so incredible about it. Maybe this just was not for me. I didn't buy into any of this.
1: Look, I know you're not a Hook guy and- I like I w- him. I'm,
0: I think that eventually the down the road, he he yeah. has potential to be a good wrestler. And I like his presentation right now, but that's all it is—a presentation.
1: Agree. The the shine has worn off a bit. He's kind of hasn't really done much. Um, I I had the same thought. I was like, why are not only was it just Big Bill running away, it was three of them running away. Like three dudes. Yes. Have him, yes. Ha, have him uh, hit Stokely Hathaway or something, and then the, the other two just kind of back off or something like that. So that was, um, it, it was it was fine that the the cage, Jungle Boy match was, um. It was fun. It was enjoyable. A bit longer than I I thought. But Jungle Boy's over. He's still very, very over. And uh story made sense. He's super over. That doesn't
0: mean I have to like the stuff that they're do- that they're doing. And, and this just... For me, it was a big eye roll. Seeing those guys run away from Hook was just like, give me a freaking break. And lastly on Rampage, we've got a third edition of Will Hobbs walking around his neighborhood. This time he actually spoke. He didn't really say much of anything other than he was hungry to succeed. So... That is it really from AEW this week across Dynamite Winter is Coming and Rampage. Chris, any final thoughts being there for Winter is Coming? I know you said it's exciting and the crowd was great, but, you know, anything else you kind of want to put forward before we kind of wrap up today's show?
1: Yeah, you know, we we talked about coming out of full gear, you know, AEW kind of moving into its next step. Uh, Danielson kind of being out of action hangman page being kind of out of action they're still missing some star power there and you can feel that a bit but um i, th- I think they are moving toward the future here as we as as we felt again if you have an aw show in town um it's a lot of fun i, I typically don't go to raw or smackdown when they're in town because it's a drawn out lot of nothing it's more expensive usually and it's mm-hmm. farther away for me just in terms of where i have to drive garland is a lot closer but yeah, I've, I've gone to, I think, five of the shows now locally and the crowds got a little bit smaller with each time because it's not as new or fresh. But the people who show up still have a heck of a time. It, it, it's a good it's a it's a good uh, it's a good time to go.
0: Yeah, I definitely do want to make my way to an AEW show when it's possible. And what I will say also is coming out of full gear, these dynamites that we've gotten, I want to say it's three now, right, because it was the one MJF missed last Then he showed up, and then now he fought Ricky Starks. So I think it's been three Dynamite since Full Gear. All of them, very good. Uh, They've Mm -hmm. definitely turned a corner in terms of television quality on that show. It had been pretty damn rough the few months kind of prior to that. They'd still have occasional good shows, but in totality, it was rough. What they've been doing the last three weeks on Dynamite, really strong, great close to the end of the year. Very different from what we've been talking about with WWE where they seem to kind of be mailing it in a little bit towards the finish. But they also operate a little bit differently in terms of the way they cycle uh, television around premium live events. So, you know, we will see, obviously, what happens uh, this coming Friday, certainly on Rampage with the Mox Hangman situation that you mentioned. But just to briefly talk WWE as well, uh, Rob Fee, who is the, I think his title is Director of Long Form Content or Director of Long Form Creative in WWE. He tweeted, Uh, two hours right before we taped the show. I wouldn't miss SmackDown this week. Don't say I didn't warn you. And WWE never does anything like that. Certainly he's not any official type of spokesperson. It's not like Triple H is saying that, you know, but for him to do that, pretty interesting, right? So, you know, we'll see what happens Friday on SmackDown. I think it should be, I, I was already excited for it. We talked about it on Tuesday's WWE show. It seemed like it was going to be a big, interesting show. And now it does seem like it's going to be perhaps a little bit bigger. One last thing on the way out, Chris, Uh, you know, I did the special instant reaction episode about Mandy Rose getting released by WWE. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it or read up on the circumstances of Mandy's release. I just wanted to see, you know, briefly, because I'm sure we're not going to talk about it next Tuesday on the WWE show. If you had any last minute take before we kind of close things out here.
1: Yeah, I I did listen to your NXT uh, review while I was driving home from Dynamite and agreed with basically everything you said, especially the idea of if she had been warned about this before, um, you got a choice to make. And it kind of ties into AEW here because, you know, Paige Van has an OnlyFans uh, account and apparently makes a crap ton of money from that. She's Mm -hmm. not really involved in AEW anymore, but she kind of was at the time. Um,
0: She did one match and then just,
1: whoop, gone. Yeah, Tony Storm does as well. So... You know, there is something to say that, hey, do these, you know, women wrestlers feel the need to do a side hustle because they have to get the extra money or do they do it because they just simply can make extra money without putting in a a, a ton of work? But there is a a line to cross. And if the company knew this was going on, boundaries, I'm sure, had to have been set up and, you know, crossing those boundaries uh, is an issue. And if, if that is indeed what happened, which is what you said and what what has been reported elsewhere that it's not like they just woke up one day and said, Oh, she posted on bad. She's fired. You know, this seemed to be building to something. And you know, that's what it is. She, she can, she has every right to do what she wants. And I imagine she's making a lot of money from that and good for her. And I hope she keeps making money from whatever she wants to do. So kind of a, a real letdown of, a uh, the end of a title reign and to, to do it on the show mm-hmm. after a pay-per-view. Um, like you said, Roxanne Perez not giving the full build to that moment, but they decided they had to make the decision now and they move forward on NXT.
0: Yeah. And the, the last thing I'll kind of say on it is, you know, I did not mention this on that instant reaction podcast. I didn't talk about, well, could she go somewhere else? I just kind of focused on the incident itself. And I mean, yes, sure. She could, right? Like Impact would probably crawl over broken glass to get her and and add her to the women's division. And she would probably have all leniency that she could possibly want to do whatever the hell she wants uh, on that fan time or whatever account that she has. Uh, AEW, I, I mean, I guess yeah, she would be star power for them to add, but I don't know what she brings to them that they don't already have. Certainly not high quality wrestling. Certainly not high quality mic work. I'm not saying Mandy's bad by any means, but you know she's a, a B player, right? And. They need A pluses, right? We're talking about possibly Sasha Banks going there. That's the type of stuff Mm -hmm. they need. They don't need to add more mid-card women that can't really get it done on their own or be leaders when it comes to being in the ring and and doing a match. So could they sign her because she's another ex-WWE superstar that has name value and might get them a little bump? They certainly could. Do I think they're going to? I really don't. I don't see her. I probably don't see her working in wrestling again. Maybe there's a circumstance where she'd like, makes a surprise WWE appearance down the line or, you know, goes into the women's Royal rumble or something like that. I mean, maybe, or some, you know, that could possibly happen, but unless it's impact, which I think is below her
1: standards, I don't know that we see her again wrestling. Yeah. She, I mean, she's someone who can make a living as a model and is kind of doing that already. I I think she may have had a fitness modeling background before she She did. Yeah. Got into wrestling anyway. So, you know, she, she's got options and, and, You know, one other thing I want to say, it is unfortunate that, you know, the wrestlers are independent contractors with WWE, not technically employees with certain benefits and everything like that. And so that that, the the labor issue with WWE is always a problem and is certainly something that needs to be touched on and addressed. Um, If you're only an independent contractor, shouldn't you be able to do whatever you want outside of work? There's an argument to be made for that, but ultimately... I, I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, uh, but, like but, but, without, without without
0: getting into it in, in a very deep way, right? WWE has clearly loosened those restrictions in terms of, like, they, yes. they were they were allowing her to do this initially. Um, they're letting people go on Twitch and do the video game stuff again and, and make yes. money from all that. So they've either loosened or completely rescinded uh, their stuff before. But no matter yes. what they allow or don't allow you to do in terms of, like, a third-party stuff, if you're under contract to a major media organization, you cannot do things that would paint you or them or your character that is with them in a bad light or a light that is counter to the type of product they are putting forward. And there is no doubt in my mind that even if they did tell people, okay, you can now go do these things again. We still have a a line that you cannot cross because you're a public figure working for us. And That is not an absurd restriction to have. You know, people talk about this independent contractor thing. And by the way, AEW does it too, with the exception of a few people who have front office positions. But if I was to sign an independent contractor deal with like Verizon and part of that contract would likely say, number one, you can't give our industry secrets to other organizations. But they probably would also say on your social media account, you can't talk shit about us and you can't talk shit about our competitors because then you're a right. representative of us and it makes us look bad. Well, if I was an independent contractor signed with Verizon and I went on my Twitter account and said, man, AT&T sucks. I can't believe anyone ever you know signs up for their service. What a joke, blah, blah, blah. Then Verizon would have every right in the world to fire me because I did something that was explicitly forbidden in my independent contractor agreement. Just because they're an independent contractor doesn't mean there aren't or shouldn't be rules that they need to follow. And that is not unique to WWE or wrestling as a whole. So everyone who uses that excuse, that's something that I didn't address on that instant reaction. And I'm not saying you were doing that, Chris. I'm just pointing it out because I didn't get an opportunity to say so. Anyone who says, well, she's an independent contractor, so that's bullshit. She should be able to do whatever she wants. No, that is not how that works. Forget about just wrestling. But in general, if a major company hires you as an independent contractor, you can bet your ass there are restrictions as part of that deal. Now, if you don't like the fact that people are signed to independent contractor agreements and you think that shouldn't be the case and it should be outlawed in the United States, hey, if you believe that, I support your belief in that and you could probably right. get me to kind of go along with that. But they do exist. They are legal. And what WWE does with them is not unique in the workforce in America.
1: Right. There there are there are other conversations about WWE's handling of labor that are completely fair and are worth talking about. Um but ultimately, this is a pretty clear boundary that, you know, she crossed it like there's not a, there's not as much gray area on this one. Different companies have different settings. AW clearly is fine with Tony Storm doing that. So uh, just, you know, unfortunate the way it turned out. But I, I thought otherwise, you know, you went deeper on it yesterday on, on the Wednesday reaction. And uh, if you have people haven't listened to that, um, recommend uh, that as well.
0: No, I appreciate it. We did get a lot of really nice comments on that show. And uh, I certainly appreciate all of those tweets coming in. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I read the five star reviews because there's a reason to do that. I'm not going to read all the positive tweets, but I did appreciate um, some of the reaction and response that we got to that show. And yeah, I just wanted to kind of clear the deck and, and lay the, the groundwork for everyone to understand what did and did not happen and what is and what is not a legitimate criticism uh, regarding the situation. But look enough of that right that wasn't really what we were here to talk about chris i appreciate you joining for this show on the way out allow me to remind you all of the getting over wrestling podcast it's all about so drop those five star ratings and reviews for us on apple Podcasts on spotify you can also leave us a five star rating over there we would greatly appreciate it do not forget to follow us on twitter At Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, and much more all week long. We will be back Tuesday with our next episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, talking about everything that goes down over the next few days in the world of WWE. And then one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel, will be our next NXT and AEW show on Thursday. Again, one week from now. Thank you all once again for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Chris this is Adam signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.